Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. Good morning. Be back with you this morning and uh, picking up in our series, The Doctrines of Grace. Um, my name is Kyle Beckrick, and for the next 12 weeks or so, uh, we're going to continue studying the five solas and the five points of Calvinism. Um, so before uh, we get started, I'd just like to pray, and then we can jump into it. <clears throat> Father God, we're... Um, God, we don't deserve to come to you this morning in prayer, God, on our own behalf. Um, but God, through Christ, God, we're able, um, God, to have intimacy and fellowship with you and with one another. God, just pray as we open up your word this morning, God, and read about your love for us. God, that that love um, would compel us, God, to live in obedience and live humbly. God, to give our lives away um, for your glory. God, would you help us to do that this morning? Um, and uh, would your name be glorified? In your son's name I pray. Amen. All right. Um, last week, uh, someone came up to me afterwards and was like, did you follow your handout at all? And I was like, I had a handout? <laughs> and I totally forgot that I had made a handout. So uh, I double-checked this morning, and I do have handouts in the back and in the front if you need one. Um, so if you need a handout, uh, please go get one, because I worked hard on them. So, um, And I'm going to follow it this time. So I'm going to keep, I'm going to regain your trust uh, with the handouts, and um, I get that. So, um, okay, so I'd like to start off with a little bit of recap from last week, and hopefully... As we continue on for the semester, we're, we're going to keep recapping each week. And my, and my hope would be that at the end of this series or the end of this class, that when you look up at the banner to your right, you would be able to uh, effectively be able to define each of these uh, solas and say, okay, this is why I believe in grace alone or faith alone or etc. Um didn't work on my font size, but I'm just going to have to go with that one. Um, okay, so last week we spent the majority of the time defining why this class is called the Doctrines of Grace, Treasuring the Sovereignty and Supremacy of God. Uh, and we talked about with doctrine how there are primary beliefs and how there are secondary beliefs. Does anyone remember what distinguishes the two? Right, yeah, so the, the primary beliefs are the ones that affect salvation. So these would be, we are saved through Christ alone. Uh, we believe in God's word as our authority. Uh, we believe that man is sinful, that God is holy. We believe that you cannot take those out, and if you begin to take those out, you begin to have what's called heresy. And you also cannot add something into it, right? So we said baptism is a secondary belief. And if you add baptism into that primary category, uh, you begin to affect the gospel. So if you were to say, you must be baptized to be saved, or you must have this view of communion to be a Christian, uh, we, we would say that uh, is heresy. So we, we do not take things out of primary, and we do not insert things in. Um, 
We talked about grace, and I don't want to talk too much about that right now because that's what this talk is about, but we defined it with one word, and that is unmerit. And then we talked about the concept of treasuring doctrine or beliefs, and we got that from Matthew 13, 44, where the parable of the man who goes out, sees a treasure, sells all that he has, and in his joy he goes and buys that treasure. And how in the same way uh, that our love for God's word should um, follow with obedience and with joy. Uh, and then we talked about sovereignty in, in three categories, that God knows all things, God controls all things, and in the midst of God's knowledge of who we are, our thoughts, our actions, our deeds, our motives, God still loves us. Uh, that God controls every aspect of the universe, that not one part of uh, earth or uh, outer space is outside of God's control. He, he's sovereign. But that God also is supreme. And we looked at Isaiah 6 where um, Isaiah goes into the temple, he looks up and he's, he sees God and, and then says what? Woe is me, right? So in, to understand the supremacy of God and to understand who we are, uh, we, we have to be able to look at ourselves in light of who God is. Um, and, and we're hoping that those, those five points would propel us into the five solas. And so that is my hope for this morning um, as we talk about this idea of grace alone. Okay, so how many of you would consider yourself an overly critical person? Raise your hand with confidence. Uh, <laughs> So I am an overly critical person. Um, so if you raise your hand, if you are, uh, you know, feel like you have the Christian freedom to say this, uh, tell me what you feel like you're the most critical of in life. Or if you're with a spouse or a friend, let them uh, say, man, my wife or my friend is th- critical of this. Uh, not, don't be super specific of what you're critical of, but just overall uh, concept. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's really good. So many of us are critical of ourselves, right? Is why didn't I do this well in this test? Or why aren't I doing X, Y, or Z? Um, we're critical of ourselves. Yeah, Caleb. Yeah, that's good too. Critical of others. Um, Expecting people uh, to have the same expectations as, as we do for ourselves. What else? Yeah. Taking direction. My wife would say the same thing about me. There's, we, uh, we, when we first got married, we moved into our apartment at Copper Creek. And, you know, like, you're figuring each other out. And I'm trying to be the man of the house, right? You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to put things together and build things and, you know, uh, assert my manliness in my house. And we buy these bookshelves. And I, I've never built anything in my life, but I'm going to put these bookshelves together. And I mean, I'm talking like, they're not super crazy. They're just the ones at Target. And I probably spend an hour. Jen's gone at work or doing something. And I put this bookshelf together, alphabetize my books, put them on the shelf. And I feel, I feel good about myself. And Jen comes home, and she just starts laughing. And I'm like, what is so funny about this? And I don't know if you can picture one of those Target bookshelves, but I put it on upside down. 
So like the plywood part was sticking out and facing out and it wasn't like the coated painted side. I said, I'm not taking that down. <laughs> and she's like, you're taking it down. And I didn't. <laughs> she took it down and rebuilt it. So <laughs> there you go. Okay, what else? Taking direction. I didn't, that was just, a, yeah. Rick and I planned that. Just kidding. Uh, what else are we critical of? Mm. Yeah. Sometimes we don't feel like we're, you know, up to par with, man, why haven't I read my Bible in three days? You know, why haven't I prayed? Like, why don't mind? why don't I feel like God is here? Why don't, why aren't I looking like this person next to me who seems like they have it all together? Uh, that's really good. Thanks. What else? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have a list of a few things I'm critical of. Um, most of these are uh, comedic, if I would want to preface that. Um, but the first is, I'm super critical of comedy movies. Like, I'm the worst person to go to the movies with for, like, a funny movie, because I don't laugh the whole time. Uh, it, like, takes a lot to get me to laugh, and then it's like, man, that wasn't very fun to go with Kyle. Um, I'm also super critical of any time I go out to eat at a restaurant of my meal, Right? Like, there could be 90% of this could be the best meal I've ever had, but I will find the 10% of my experience that I'm critical of, whether it's uh, there's not enough butter on my mashed potatoes or the waitress hasn't came and filled up my water. I'm always telling Jen, like, she's like, you're ruining this experience right now. Um, she's, never, she's only probably only said that once, but uh, I'm super critical of sermons or speeches. Not, obviously not here, of course, because Bryce and Ernie are fantastic. Uh, <laughs> But you know what I mean? It's like, you're listening, and it's like, man, I, you know, anyway, I'm being vulnerable right now. Uh, don't judge me. Uh, but at the same time, uh, there are times uh, where passion takes over, right? And, and we're no longer critical, and we're biased of something, right? Uh, you know, we can be overcritical of some things, but then we can be overly biased for some things. Um, the first for me is Harry Potter, Man, I love Harry Potter. Absolute fanatic. I read all the books when I was a kid, and right now, I remember having this argument on campus a few weeks ago or a year ago or whatever, but there was guys like, Star Wars is so much better than Harry Potter, and no one in their right mind believes that. There's, <laughs> th- there's not books. They didn't, did George Lucas write books? No one knows. Um, the Chicago Bears, guys, I believe in them, no matter what. They could lose. They could score three points. And I still believe they're going to win the Super Bowl today. Uh, if it was within my Christian freedom to place bets at church, I, might, I may do that. Uh, just kidding. I won't do that. But, but I think the reality is um, there are things that we love so much that it will change the way we view things, whether, whether we know it or not, right? We become completely unbiased to certain aspects of our life and passion takes over for whatever reason. Um, And I think when it comes to our theology, sometimes we have a tendency to become numb to the truths of Scripture. Uh, We read or hear things so many times that it doesn't um, have the same majesty that it should. We hear concepts like grace or faith, or we hear about Jesus rising from the dead, and we become numb um, to the truths of Scripture. 
And, and I get that. Like, I get that so much of theology is head knowledge, right? It's a 400-page book that you're reading to try to understand something. Uh, but I'm hopeful that today, in our study of the doctrine of grace, that this would uh, not just be mere head knowledge, um, but rather my prayer is that this would draw us to worship the king. Um, there's a, 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 f- a series of books that I am using and Caleb will also be using as he does some of these. Uh, written, uh, or um, the editor is by Matthew Barrett, who's Southern Baptist uh, seminary professor. And it's just a, it's a five solo series. And the one who wrote the book on um, grace alone said this, the Christian can, be, can no more talk of grace in cool, objective, abstract terms than a husband can discuss his love for his wife in such a manner. That which brings us from being under God's wrath to being his beloved children is surely something that we cannot contemplate in a dispassionate manner. So, uh, the metaphor that, that he gives here um, is talking about uh, how a husband would talk about his wife and talk about not just the characteristics of his wife, but his love for his wife. So, you know, when I'm talking about those things we're passionate about, I obviously love Harry Potter, I love the Chicago Bears, and I love my wife infinitely times more than those things. And when I'm talking about my wife, or, or more specifically talking about my love for my wife, you would hope and you would pray that that would not just be a numb, I love her, she's pretty cool. Um, we've been married for four years and, you know, we spend some time together and that's about it, right? But you would want me to tell you all the things, or what I should be doing is I should be telling you all the things I love about my wife, how she's hardworking and how she's an amazing mother, how she has high character, how she laughs and brings so much joy into our house, how she's an amazing friend. Those would be the things that you would expect a loving husband to say about his wife. Now, in the same manner, and probably infinitely greater, how do you talk about God's love for you? Do you talk about God's death on the cross, uh, God withholding his wrath from you and putting it on his son in the same manner, with the same majesty uh, that would be expected for me to talk about my wife? Do you talk about God's love for you in a way that you're in awe of God's love for you? Let's be honest, so often we don't. So often it's just another aspect of our life. God died on the cross for us. Jesus died for us. Jesus lived. Uh, And my hope um, as a result of just a few minutes this morning is that we would be left in awe of what Christ has done for us on the cross. So back up a little bit. Okay. So in order for us to have a proper understanding of what grace is, that's what we're talking about this morning, the concept or doctrine of grace alone. And again, I need to make sure I stick to my handout. Um, why do you think we need grace? Right. Thank you. Because of our sins, simply, right? We can't just be left to our own being. Without God's intervention or God's grace, uh, we're left to our sin. And naturally, I think if we're going to understand this doctrine of grace alone, uh, we have to have a proper understanding of two crucial Christian doctrines that deal with sin. So that is that um, section of the handout right there, two doctrines that deal with sin. 
And I don't want to jump too far ahead because we'll be covering this another four or five weeks more in depth, but we cannot understand grace unless we understand it in light of the fall. We cannot understand grace unless we understand it in light of the fall. So the first doctrine that deals with sin is uh, original sin. Does anyone know or want to take a guess on what original sin is? Yes. Yeah, exactly. So a lot of the time people think with original sin, it's, it is the first sin, or uh, it's, it's Eve taking a bite of the apple, giving it to Adam. And, that, and that's not true, although that's part of it, but it's the consequences of that sin. Um, and we're going to take a look on where that comes from in Scripture in a second. But the second doctrine is total depravity. And does anyone know what total depravity is or want to take a guess on what that is? Yes. I disagree, but yes. I think that's, I think that's a consequence of total depravity, yeah. Um, yes, yeah. Yeah, and, and all of those are, are really good answers. Um, but total depravity does not mean that we're as bad as we could be. Uh, because we could be worse. You know, if you uh, look at the life of Hitler versus Gandhi, you know, you would say both are corrupted with sin, but one lived in a significantly more despicable life. But as Dan said, what total depravity means is not that we're as bad as we could be, but rather every aspect of our being is corrupted with sin. So our thoughts, our actions, every part of us uh, is tainted with sin. So our parenting, our worship this morning, every part of us uh, is corrupted with sin. And we get this idea from Romans 5. So you can turn there if you'd like, but I have it in size 5 font on the screen behind me. Um, And I will read that. Okay. Death and Adam, life in Christ. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous." Now the law came in to increase the trespass where the sin increased. Grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, 
grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Just a couple observations from Romans 5. Uh, one man's sin, Adam's sin, leads to two, uh, two things. First, it leads to sin for all men. Uh, that as a result of Adam's fall, we see that all men since uh, have lived a life of sin, or at least have started that way, um, at least in, in the aspect before God. And the second is condemnation. Uh, all men face a consequence as a result of that sin, uh, and that is God's wrath, God's judgment as a result of our sin. And we see this even in the New Testament, John three thirty six, uh, that says uh, that those who are not in Christ, the wrath of God remains on him. So we're in need of something. That, that's what we see as a result of Romans 5, that left to our own accord or left, left to the consequences of our original sin or total depravity, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. Um, and, I, and I think the best way to illustrate the doctrine of grace alone is with a story. So I think grace is uh, beautifully illustrated in stories. And I tried to come up with one, and I couldn't do it. So Jesus told one that is better than the one I would tell, uh, and I think it will really illustrate this concept um, and this doctrine really well. So Matthew 18, uh, the parable of the unforgiving servant. Um, Flip there, and we're going to spend a lot of time on this passage this morning. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay his debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should not, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Um, so Jesus is giving this parable um, talking about forgiveness. But we get a beautiful picture of the king in this passage. So I just want to give a few observations from this text that I think uh, will give us a very um, clear understanding of the doctrine of grace alone. The first is the king is going to settle his accounts. 
Sometimes you gloss over that aspect of this. Uh, But there are men throughout the kingdom who are in debt to the king. Each one must stand before him to settle this outstanding balance. He brings each one in who has a debt. And he says, simply, pay what you owe. And it's easy to gloss over that as just another part of the story. But the reality is, is all of us one day will have to settle our accounts. See that in Hebrews 9.27 when the writer of Hebrews says, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. One day, you will have to answer God the question, pay what you owe. How would you answer that question? We have two options. Uh, We will stand in light of Adam's sin and and pay what Adam owed, which is his life. Um, Or as we, as this doctrine will show, we will stand in light of grace on what Jesus did for us on the cross, which is what I'll get to. The king is going to settle his accounts with each one of us. What we see is the man's debt is outrageous. Uh, Does anyone have a footnote uh, at the bottom of their Bible to say how much a talent is? So he has 10,000 talents. How much is a talent? Twenty years um, wages. So, I don't know if you want to do the math of what ten thousand times or how, what's the, the average American salary? I think is fifty thousand dollars a year. So multiply that times twenty is how much? Accounting majors, it's a million dollars. And then multiply that times 10,000. I did that on my calculator. You know what it came out to? 1E10. I don't know what that is. (laughs) No one knows what the E stands for, that there is even an E on your calculator. But there is. Uh, So this man's debt is such a ridiculous sum. And he has everything to lose as a consequence of that debt. You hear what, what the king says? that he and his wife and his children and all that he has will be sold. So everything is at stake for the servant. And if you haven't picked up on it yet, in the parable, we're the servant. We're the one who stands before God with an infinite amount of debt, a 1E10 debt. And we have to pay it back. And the only way that we on our own can pay back the debt is with our life. And even then, it doesn't measure up to what the consequences are. So as a result, what happens? The man pleads. He says, please, not my life, not my wife, not my family, not the things that I have. And what happens? The king has compassion on the servant. I mean, it's amazing. The king has compassion on the servant. Why? Out of pity. Out of pity, the king has compassion on the servant. And he not only releases him, he he doesn't release him and set up a a 30-year payment plan. He forgives him his debt. Out of pity. Go. So I think we need need to take a second here if we're we're really going to understand this for what it is. Uh, You are underneath a mountain of debt. And I am underneath a mountain of debt, an infinite amount, an amount we can't repay. And the king is coming to settle his accounts with us. He is coming to settle his account with each one of us. 
You have sinned against a perfect and holy God and interest is racking up. Every day, your thoughts, your actions, it's continuing to rack up sin interest, if I can use that word. You're continuing to sin. And you offer the king nothing. There's, there's nothing you can do to pay that debt. There, there is now, uh, the king is not proud of your six-figure salary. He's not proud of how great of a parent you are, of your beautiful voice, of uh, all of your hard work, your charity. None of those things, a part of your life, can pay back this debt. All of the great things that you do or that we do, it can't pay back the debt. And you realize you've sinned against the king. You realize you can't repay him. And this is where it's beautiful. Is it's not just that the king says, I'm going to forgive you. But the king has compassion on you. He loves you. He knows every aspect of your being. He knows your sin. He knows your thoughts. He knows your motives. And then he sends his son to come pay back the debt. The son longs for you to be free. The son of the king comes and he sees you and he doesn't want you to go to prison. He, he comes and he lives a perfect life. And he wants you elevated to royalty. He, he wants you to be adopted as a son of the king. But it's not just as simple as a desire. Um, the son has to be sacrificed for you. And this is what we see in the gospel is in the midst of, of the consequences of your sin, Jesus comes. And Jesus sees you and he knows you and knows every part of, uh, every aspect of your sin. And he sees your debt, the one E10, and he goes to the cross. And he stands convicted of things that he didn't do, of your sin, and it's nailed to the cross. And here is the doctrine of grace alone um, in just a couple sentences. What have you done? Nothing. What have you gained through Christ? Everything. That is the doctrine of grace alone. You have done nothing, but through Christ you have gained everything. You've gained sonship. You've gained adoption. You've gained his perfect record. So not only is your amount of debt gone, but when you have to settle your account, he sees Christ. He sees what Christ has done with his life. So that is the doctrine of grace alone. Um, it is the belief that salvation is a gift of God. And um, if you've been around our ministry uh, longer than a week, you've heard of the bridge diagram. And uh, that, that's Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And one of the key words that we break down when we share the bridge diagram is the word gift. Uh, because the word gift is such a crucial part in understanding grace. We see that even in Romans 5.15 that we read. Uh, Paul just simply says, the free gift. That's what grace is. It's the free gift. Um, and so often, we, we don't understand that grace is a free gift. We think that there's strings attached. 
Uh, and, and we love to, and when we share this, give the analogy of when you're given a gift for Christmas from one of your, from one of your parents or uh, if you give a gift to one of your kids or to a friend, do you ever expect them to pay the gift back? Like, here is your toy Barbie. Cora, I'm going to take away a dollar from your college savings account every year until you pay back the Barbie. Of course not. The gift is unearned. It's something you don't pay back. It's because I love you. In the same way, uh, that is what this doctrine is teaching, is that, is that you do not earn your salvation. It is freely given to you. It's not something you can ever pay back, and you're not expected to pay it back because Christ paid it fully on the cross. You've done nothing, but through Christ, you've gained everything. Um, before we get to that. Okay. Uh, did you guys hear the sound I was making? I forgot I was mic'd up for a second. It's kind of a thing. Never mind. Okay. Um, one of my favorite people in the world is Colin Cowherd. Anyone know who Colin Cowherd is? Uh, he is a sports radio broadcaster that I listen to every single day. Uh, and Colin is not a Christian, although I think if he ever became one, he would be one of the best teachers ever because he is the king of metaphors and analogies. Uh, and if you ever listen to him, you should. But just listen to the first 10 minutes of his show every day, and he starts off with like some rant about, I don't know, uh, Christmas dinner and turns it into this powerful analogy about the NFL. And you're like, how did he do that? I don't know. Uh, But he says something that I think is so true. He says, sometimes it's easier to understand something not by its definition, but by uh, the opposite of it. So in other words, it's sometimes easier to understand something by what it's not rather than what it is. Does that make sense? Um, So we need to understand the lies that that we often believe about grace. I think, in order for us to have uh, a full understanding of what grace is. Uh, and grace is just a challenging thing, I think, for us to understand uh, as, as the church in America, just as a result of our achieving uh, mentality. Most of us just grew up that way, and probably most of us parent that way, or were parented that way, that my parents, I just remember, they told me everything was just about me achieving things, right? You have to work hard. You take nothing from anyone do it all yourself. Uh, don't worry about the needs of other people. You just have to make sure you take care of you. You know what I mean? I hear that all the time. And I'm, I'm sure you don't parent that extreme. My parents, my parents were great. So if they ever listen to this, I love you. Um, but we're taught to achieve and we're taught that we get what we earn, right? But the reality is, is that is counterintuitive to what we're, we're taught about grace in the Bible. Uh, so I just want to give three quick thoughts of what grace is not um, or how uh, we can uh, not live in light of grace. And the first is that uh, we cannot abuse grace. And we see this in Romans 6, 1 through 2. You don't have to flip there. I don't have it on a slide. Um, but Paul says something really powerful here. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Here's what Paul's saying. Uh, in just a couple quick verses, is that you do not have the freedom to live however you want as a Christian. 
that you cannot just choose to, choose to sin because you believe that Christ died on the cross for you, that you cannot live in, the absolute, uh, unre- in an unrepentant lifestyle turning away um, from the truths of Scripture, that I'm going to go do whatever I want, whenever I want, because it feels good. What Paul's saying is that that person probably has never experienced grace. Because what grace does, and I'll, I'll get to this in a second, is, is it leads to gratitude. It is great, you don't obey to receive grace, but when you receive grace, you want to live a life of gratitude to the king. So grace uh, can and should not be abused. Another lie we believe about grace is that there's strings attached. And we think about this all the time, or I think this happens all the time in our context, but we, we believe that when anyone does like a favor for us, there's strings attached, right? Uh, like, why are you being so, like, this happens with my wife all the time. Why are you being so nice to me, right? Have you ever heard someone say that to you before? Like, what do you want right now? Or Cora, you know, she comes and she's being really sweet. What'd you, Cora, what'd you do? Uh, and, and the reality is, is this is not grace. Uh, with grace, there, there are no strings attached. And, and we have the evidence of that because of Christ's death on the cross. Um, that that penalty has already been paid. And finally, that grace coexists with merit. There's an article uh, that I like to share with students when I'm sharing the gospel with them or if they're a Christian just working through um, some things, and it's called the Back to God article. I don't know if anyone, has anyone heard of that before, the Back to God article? Uh, it's fantastic. It just shares, uh, it shares a story. Uh, obviously, it's it's a story, but three men stand before God and give three different answers for why they should be let in. So the first man says, God, you should let me in because I have just worked so hard in my life. I, I've done all that I could to get in. I lived a you know, good life. I, I tried the best that I could. And in the story, God says, it wasn't enough you still have to pay back the debt. And um, the man is sent to hell. The second man comes and he says, God, I, I believed in your son, but I was also a really good person. And, and I also did the best I could. And I think because of both of these things, you should let me in. And in the story, God sends the man away. Why? He didn't, he didn't understand the gospel. He didn't believe that this was a free gift, but rather he believed that in order for me to really be loved by God, in order for me to really have his grace, I, I still got to measure up. It's half about Jesus and half about me. So easy to believe that, right? In the midst of us uh, struggling in our walks with God, we just, I just got to try harder. The reason I'm, I'm not having intimacy with Christ right now is I'm not trying hard enough. And that's a lie. The truth is, uh, the third man comes and he says, I, I don't deserve to come in. No, no part of me should be allowed into your kingdom. But I've trusted fully in Christ. And my life is built on the rock. Um, my prayer is that as we study this and as we, we all live that that would be how we come before God one day. That all of us would know that we don't deserve to know God at all. 
um, yet in his grace, um, we've been saved. So, why it matters. Okay, so this idea of grace alone was, you know, formalized hundreds of years ago. So why does it matter to us today? Three things, and then the third will come with uh, just a few follow-up points. An understanding of grace alone is necessary to understanding salvation. Hopefully, I've, I've made that clear throughout this talk, but there's no partial earning of your salvation. Salvation either comes as a gift or as something you earn. There, there is no in-between here. You either earn your salvation or it's given freely as a gift from God. What do you see in scripture? If this is a doctrine that you've struggled to understand, I, I, I sympathize with you, uh, but just read the book of Romans or just pull a random chapter from Romans and, and you will see that God's salvation is a gift, um, freely, uh, freely unearned. Secondly, an understanding of grace alone leads to a longing for intimacy with the king. Um, I don't know if anyone's ever done something nice for you before, but think of, if, if they have, think about a time where someone has just went above and beyond to do something kind for you. Um, whether it's something around the house or something with your kids or a present or a gift. Think about that moment. Rewind. And think about the way that you felt towards that person. Uh, when they uh, did this for you, whatever it was. Typically, uh, in those moments, you're so thankful, right? Man, I can't believe you helped me fix my car or that I had a flat tire and you came and helped me change it. Like, I was just stranded here and you came and, and I did, I didn't, I'm not benefiting you in any way, yet you came and helped me. It's gratitude, it's thankfulness, And if you believe you're constantly having to earn God's approval, do you think you'll ever experience intimacy with him? If you think that in your day-to-day life, that your whole life is about spending enough time with him or not sinning enough or always trying to perform for God to be pleased with you, do you think it's possible to experience intimacy with him? The same question would be, is do you think if you performed well enough, could you ever pay back that mountain of debt? It's the same answer. No, you can't pay it back. And and in the same sense, your intimacy with God will always be first and foremost in Christ's righteousness that is given to you. So it's an impossible task, but for all of us who have experienced the grace of God, we should be longing for intimacy with the king. For the king who had pity on us and said, you're released and your debt is paid. And this is where we have the idea of the means of grace. Heard of the means of grace? This would be God's word that we're able to read or that is preached to us, prayer, uh, the sacraments where next week we, we take communion, that we get to experience the goodness of God by hearing his word and by talking to him in prayer and fellowshipping with one another in communion. Those are opportunities for us uh, to be in awe of God's grace. 
And then finally, an understanding of grace alone leads to a longing for obedience. Not to please God, or not for him to be, uh, not for you to be saved by, as a result of your obedience, but just because you want to live in light of God's glory. So, a few things that I think would make that point more clear on obedience. Six of them. Uh, the first is grace and gratitude. Um, I, I got that idea from Ligonier. I think R.C. Sproul did a table talk on that a long time ago. But the, the idea is that as a result of the king saying you're set free, you're released, your debt is paid, we want to live a life of gratitude to the king. So what do you think are some ways that we should or could live in gratitude as a result of God's grace in our lives? That's so good, yeah. Forgiving, forgiving one another. I mean, think about your life. Now, I'm sure there are people that you can think of that you are just bitter. When you see them, you, oh, you pull out your phone, like, dang, I'm getting a text right now. Can't pay attention to people around me, right? You know what I'm saying? You, you do that where you just get yourself out of a situation where it's not what we see in the parable of the unforgiving servant, right? Or it actually is. It's what we see in the unforgiving servant. But yet we're called to give the same grace that has been given to us or forgive as we've been forgiven. It's really good. What else? Mm, absolutely. So just being thankful for everything that we have, right? So not just, uh, and I'll, I'll give, yes, that's absolutely right. That's great. I don't want to, yeah, keep going. Yeah, absolutely. What else? Absolutely. Uh, when we live a life of gratitude, we, we want to worship the king. And like I'm, Hopefully, uh, what this will always do each week will propel us into a time of worship where we can look at awe of what Christ has done for us. And it will propel us to service and didn't stop being the king's servant. Yes. Um, he continued to serve in his kingdom. Absolutely. Yep. So, I mean, this, will, this should propel us to give our lives away, right? Is that as a result of the grace given to us is... You know, we, we want to give our lives away, whether that's uh, to the best of our ability in our context, in our home, but also in our church, in our communities, our neighborhoods, our schools. Um, we, we should want to serve. What else? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, there should be a, uh, an understanding that as a result of our sin being nailed to the cross, that we can rest in what Christ has done for us, rest in the finished work of Christ. Maybe one more. Yeah. Mm. Absolutely. And just even just the understanding that what a gift it is to be able to have God's word, right? 
that God has given us his, his word for us to read, and Caleb will be talking about that um, in a couple weeks. Um, oh, they're already on there. Okay. Um, grace should lead to preaching the gospel to yourself. Um, we're, we're often tempted to believe that I've got to try harder. I need to stop this or I need to stop that. And Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 um, talks about what to do in the midst of that. It says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and a seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Preaching the gospel to yourself daily, that in the midst of in the midst of when life is so challenging, when you feel like a failure, when you feel like you don't, when you're not up to par, man, I'm not reading my Bible enough. I keep feeling like I'm falling into the same sin. It's Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 to do. As a result of us looking to Jesus on the cross, as a result of us looking at him, we are now able to set our sin aside. Not set your sin aside on your own because of your hard work and then look to Jesus. But no, as a result of looking to Christ, and for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Because we have confidence that he's at the right hand of God right now, we want to turn from our sin. Grace should also lead to preaching the gospel. When the king has relieved us from our debt, how can we not tell others about the king who forgives? Yeah. Yeah, so, and this, to, and to not jump too far ahead of, uh, how, how do we lose the depravity? Is that, was that your question? Well, so if you think of a, a spectrum here, so think of the stage like your life. So all of us are born... Uh, in our in original sin as a result of... So we're born here, we're dying there. At some point in the life of a Christian, you're not, you're not born a Christian, you're not born uh, with God's grace lavished on you, uh, freed from sin, you're born in original sin, that's Ephesians 2. At some point in your life, as a result of God's grace, he saves you. For, for every Christian, at some point in your life, there's a moment where God changes your heart from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, where we, as a result of God's grace, have faith alone in the finished work of Christ that we see in God's word, and we call that justification, right? So let's say justification happens here. And justification is the moment where God no longer sees Kyle Beckrick, the sinner, but he sees Kyle Beckrick uh, with Christ's righteousness imputed into him as a result of the grace given to me by God to have faith in the Son. And then from that moment to death is what we'd call sanctification, which is God uh, slowly but surely, some faster than others, some slower than others, uh, is making us more into the image of Christ. And, and that's done in a variety of ways. By, by these means of grace, corporate worship, but also things like suffering uh, and, and us seeing Christ in the midst of pain and anguish. And probably a lot of us would say that we've grown the most in the midst of, of suffering. And then at death is when we experience glorification, uh, which is us uh, 
coming to Christ, saying, or coming to God in the fullness of Christ. So uh, the depravity aspect of things, um, I, I want to hold off com- completely on, but we will always experience that sin nature um, until our death, uh, which is you know, what we see with the Apostle Paul. Why do, why do I keep doing what I don't want to do? Uh, woe is me, but thanks be to God um, for what Christ has done for us on the cross. So I hope that answered that question. Um, but grace should lead to preaching the gospel, and, I, and I'll fly through this really quick. Um, but when you see people um, living in the midst of their sin, or if you see people claiming to know Christ, yet trying to perform for his approval, your heart should break. You, in those moments, all of us should be compelled to tell people about the free gift of God that is given to us in Christ. Grace should lead to repentance. Grace should lead to a hatred of our sin. The king has paid our debt. We can't run back to it. And, and when we do, we need to turn and run away. Grace should lead to humility. Philippians 2, 3, and 4, do nothing from rivalry or conceit uh, or selfish ambition, but in humility kind of others more significant than yourselves. Um, yeah, dang. Uh, just a few thoughts on that because I think they're helpful but every aspect of your life uh, is a gift from the gra- as a result of God's grace. So your hard work that you are so proud of, you're such a hard worker, it's God's grace. Your health or, or your unhealth, the people who are, man, I run every single day, or those who are just barely making it, it's God's grace to you. Your theology that you hold so dearly and that I hold so dearly, it's, it's God's grace. The fact that you live in the United States, it's God's grace. It's a gift. You don't deserve it. And even your next breath that you're about to take is a gift from the grace of God. And finally, grace should lead to compassion. Your heart's disposition towards your enemy, to those who disagree with your thoughts politically or theologically, um, you should have compassion on on all people, uh, which should lead to love, and a mentality to serve. So in conclusion, uh, the doctrine of grace, the the way I'm going to define it is we've done nothing, but in Christ we've gained everything. It's the doctrine of grace alone. Uh, And let that truth propel our hearts to worship the king who came to settle his account, who saw the mountain of debt, and he laid it on his son. Um, So, are there any questions? Okay, let me pray, and then uh, we'll get into worship. God, so thankful for your grace. God, I, I pray, or I confess, God, that so often I take it for granted. God, I, um, God, I've become numb uh, to that truth so often. God, even, uh, even in church, God, when I sing songs about who you are and your nature and what you've done for us, through your son, um, God, I feel like I've heard it so many times, God, that uh, it's just another thing I hear. God, I pray, um, God, that all of those who've had that same struggle, God, including myself, would turn. God, that we would stand in awe of you and your glory. God, that we would look up and see you high and lifted up. God, that we would see our mountain of sin, God, and that we would see uh, your son. God, your son who came and, and saw that mountain of debt and it was nailed to the cross, um, God, as he endured the wrath 
um, God, that we deserve. I just pray for all of us, God, that as a result of your grace, it would lead to compassion and forgiveness and serving. Um, God, a desire to spend time in your word and with your people. God, that it would lead to uh, the sharing of our faith, God, that we love. God, um, God I pray that it would, be, it would lead to thankfulness for every breath, um, God, that we take. God, I pray that, um, God, during worship today, God, for the preaching of your word, God, for uh, the singing of songs, God, that we would do it and glorify you, God, that we would live in awe of your grace. And we love you and pray in your son's name. Amen.